please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Read New City Catechism question 26 with me. What else does Christ's death redeem? Christ's, Christ's death, death is the beginning be of the redemption and renewal of every part of fallen creation as he powerfully directs all things for his own glory and creation's good. And you may be seated. I guess the children can follow Keely out. They're going with her for Children's Church. Well, welcome each of you here today. I'm glad that you're here. And I welcome you into this journey that we've been having this year through the New City Catechism. It teaches some great foundational questions for each one of us in our faith. I've grown in it as I've gone through each one of these teachings, and I definitely uh, grew this week. Our question was, what else does Christ's death redeem? So you might need to know the question and answer before that, which was last week, question 25. Does Christ's death mean all our sins can be forgiven? And the answer was yes. All our sins can be forgiven through Christ's powerful redemption. But we're going to look at today... We're going to explore the depths of the gospel redemption and see what else Christ's death redeems. We sang about it actually this morning, and it was within our liturgy, all that Christ redeems. So we're going to look at, yes, a reminder of the fountainhead of the gospel, that Jesus forgives us of all of our sins, but we are also going to look at what it means to redeem things in heaven. Wow, what does that mean? And to what extent? Then we're going to look at not just our individual salvation and redemption, but society and culture's redemption through the church. God saved a people for himself, not just you individually, but he saved a body. And so we're going to look at that redemption, that further redemption of what the church means. And we're going to look at what that ultimate effect is through the church redeeming all of creation. What does that mean even in nature? What it means that creation itself will be redeemed. Pretty interesting. Pretty deep, deep thoughts. Our commentary that we announced today and read through in our liturgy was um, Vermin Pierre. He is the New City Catechism commentary that Tim Keller used on this question. And he mentions the coming up to the Grand Canyon. How many have been to the Grand Canyon? Been there. It's neat to watch people, he says, come up and look at it for the first time. He says it's life-changing. He says, but it's even more grand than you could get 
at going, and these tour guides take you, and they park you at different places, and you look down, see these little people rafting down there at the bottom, going on the river, how big and grand the grandeur of it is. But he says if you really want to uh, get into it, you hike down it. You can spend the night in one thing and hike back up. You can explore it. And that's what we want to do today. We want to not just look at the grandeur of our if you want to say individual salvation, what God has done redeeming us from our sins, and, 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 and note, that is the fountainhead of all that God's doing in and through the salvation of his people. Amen? But it just goes out from there. Teresa and I, when we were at the Grand Canyon, because Teresa's not a hiker, we took a helicopter ride. I splurged on that one. And we got to see it from a helicopter and fly in it in canyons with a guide that had been there for years who took us to all the best spots, and we got a view of that. But that's what Teresa and I love doing together is exploring the depths of the gospel. One of the things that really transformed our lives and our ministry was maybe to sum it up in a quote of Tim Keller's. He said that the gospel isn't just the ABCs of Christian life. It is the A to Z of Christian life. And so that's like exploring the Grand Canyon. It's going down into its depths. It's not going to something else. It's exploring the depths of what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we announce in our gospel announcement every, every Sunday together means in our life. And so we're going to look at that full full redemption, and just some aspects of it, and explore that. So go on this journey with me, if you will, into our text and into other texts that will help us uh, see the grandeur of this redemption. So our text today is really profound. It says in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's important to know because... Who your Redeemer is, is how much He's redeemed you from. And since Jesus is God, uh, He has redeemed us as God uh, from all of the curse. And so it's very profound. We must know who the Redeemer is, that Jesus, our Redeemer, that in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Through Him, to reconcile to Him, to Himself, all things reconciling through Jesus to himself all things. And then it says, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the power of the blood in Jesus' cross. Redeems us from all things. And all things, like I said, is the fountainhead of all of our sins. Colossians 1 13 through 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. I love this kingdom transfer. You've been taken from the domain of darkness when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and transferred out into another kingdom. Kingdom transfer, right? From the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in which what happens? says, in whom we have redemption. That's what we're talking about, our great Redeemer. Uh, This whole series of questions and answers on 
the Redeemer and our redemption. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, that is the fountainhead that everything else we're going to talk about redeems us from. Paul, in his writing to Titus in, in chapter 2, verse 14, says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, which we're going to look at, purifying for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. You see that the redemption is from all lawlessness. Christ's death on the cross redeems us from all of our sins, all of our lawlessness. The blood of the cross redeems us from the wrath of God into peace with God. That's what we say in our gospel announcement taken from Romans 5. And this peace is secure and eternal, not in our performance of works that we have to maintain or even earn to get there in the first place, but by faith in Christ and his blood. It is the blood of what Jesus accomplished at the cross that brings us this peace. It's glorious. When Jeremiah was trying to put this into words in 31, 34, he says, For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I mean, this is the fountainhead of the gospel. God forgiving us in Christ and obliterating the sin in our life. So in our catechism commentary, this Vermin Pierre, he says, It's an amazing, beautiful, incredible message And at the same time, it's just the beginning of God's saving, redeeming, and renewing work. That that renewing and redeeming work is like spreading out through you as believers into all things, this scriptural text says. It says, he goes on to say, as we head deeper into the gospel, a fuller and even more glorious picture emerges we see that God's saving of sinners was only intended to open up the door into a deeper, wider, all-encompassing saving of the whole creation. The saving of sinners is at the heart of the gospel. It is the fountainhead, and from this fountainhead flows a mighty river, one full of redemptive healing power for every square inch of the cosmos. I like that. How is this possible? Through the blood of the cross. That's what our text is saying. Through the power and the blood of the cross. It also says that, I'm going to jump right into this, he's going to reconcile to himself all things in heaven. That's what he was saying, in all of the cosmos. What does that mean? We don't know fully. We have no full, you know, inclination of what that might mean. But I want to jump into one thing that it could mean, and it's from Colossians in the next chapter. That's what I was taught. Like, if you're not for sure, just keep reading, because there's going to be some unfolding as you get into that chapter. A word, a phrase, a sentence, when you come across it, words only have meaning within the context of the sentence. A sentence only has context meaning within the paragraph, And the paragraph only has meaning within the the whole letter. And that whole letter only has meaning within the context of harmonizing it with the whole Bible. That's how you do um, harmonizing of Scripture together. And So just looking a little bit further into Colossians chapter 2, there's a very powerful Scripture reminding us of our redemption once again, starting in verse 13 through 15. And he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Reminding us of that fountainhead, right? 
forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Woo! That's your sin, finished in Jesus. And then there's this beautiful verse. It says in verse 15 of chapter 2, He disarmed the rulers and authorities. What does that mean? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Whoever these rulers and authorities are, he's putting them to open shame. He's doing something. Most theologians believe this is demonic rulers and authorities because who else would you put to open shame? And so ESV comments that definitely, you know, this is most likely demonic rulers and authorities because you're triumphing over them in and through the cross and in and through Jesus. What's happening here, I believe, can be said that it is that through Paul's other writings in Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? These same two words, rulers and authorities. But here when he says we're wrestling against rulers and authorities, he's going to list what they are. And he says cosmic powers over this present darkness. That's what you're wrestling against. Cosmic powers. This is in heaven. Heavenly powers. Cosmic powers. And then he says against spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly places. So he's defining these rulers and authorities as being in heavenly places, being cosmic powers. And so this is the reconciliation of part of the all things in heaven. This is Jesus through the cross, victorious, somehow parading every evil demonic power and saying the victory has been done at the cross. The price has been paid for the redemption of my people. It is a victorious, declared, disarming of spiritual forces in heavenly places. I love that. I love just looking, maybe delving at the one aspect of what that means, that the gospel announced in heaven that Jesus has won. The blood of Christ announced to spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places that Christ has won. The record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands has been nailed at the cross and it is finished in Jesus. I love the way uh, Peterson, uh, Eugene Peterson uh, uh, translates this in the message here. doesn't mean I like all of his translations, but this one's good. Uh, Colossians 2.15, it says, he, he translated it this way. He's a Greek scholar. He says, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority and at the, at the cross, and he marched them naked through the streets. You're defeated. You're disarmed. I love that aspect of it. You can see these glimpses of this spiritual warfare in the Old Testament. There's a story in the Kings of Elisha with his servant who's worried and scared and shaken. And all Elisha says is just open the eyes of my servant. Let him see. Let him see, God, how you got this one. And he opens up and he sees into the heavens the, the myriad of angels winning. I like the, the battle in Daniel's prayer in Daniel 10 where um, the, the answer to his prayer finally comes through. And he says, I've been wrestling with this prince of Persia to get this answer to you for, for 21 days. There's been the spiritual battle in prayer of this 
So these things are happening, and I believe that the gospel and the cross redeemed, and in part the scripture is saying things even in the heavenly realms. We see in Hebrews now we can come boldly into the throne of grace. We see that we have access into the holy place of God now that we didn't have before through the blood of the cross. We see that powerful, more oneness that each one of us can have with the Holy Spirit abiding in us now through the blood of the cross. We just see the access of the disarming of all other rulers and authorities. This echo, though, of this blood of the cross that brings us peace echoes into God's whole people. I want to move into that and just talk about... uh, what Rachel read today from, from Vermin Pierre was great that the church isn't just sitting here doing nothing, not passive, uh, you know, waiting till that final day. We're active in the world, displaying um, God and in the earth and, and all of the things that the church is doing. I want to look at that as a people. Uh, Vermin also says, Pierre says, more specifically, that God through Jesus Christ has graciously acted to save a sinful people unto himself. These people are redeemed from sin and made a new creation and are adopted forever into the family of God. What does that mean to be adopted, spiritual adoption into the family of God? Well, it means that Jesus is our head. This is what the verse previously said to our text. In Colossians 1.18, it says, He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, first place, supreme. He's the head of the body of the church. And that's the area that he's talking about in this reconciliation of all things. The reconciliation through his body, the church, saving a sinful people unto himself, adopted forever into the family of God, And he says, changing things in social systems and moral culture. That terrible decline that we see in moral culture and societal things. When you look at the church, see, I can look and see Jesus in each one of you and only see so much. But when I see how you relate to other people, I see a lot more. I see a lot more about has Christ truly redeemed you When you have to deal with other people. And that's what the church is. The church is to be not just where they can walk in and go, Oh, look at Bobby. He's a good pastor. Oh, look at, put your name in there. They're really on fire for God. It's coming into a church and seeing the beauty of how society is meant to get along. Jesus put it this way. He said, they will know you are my disciples in that you have love for God and for yourself and for what he's done for you and redeemed. No, in your love for one another. That's how the world sees whether you got what you really got that the church says you're supposed to have. It's when you walk it out. And it says, if you just say you love God, First John, echoing on this a little bit more, what he heard Jesus say, love one another. If you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. Oh, man, that's, come on, John. Preach it to me, brother. Hit me hard. Just call me out as a liar. So God redeemed a church. God redeemed a people, and you need to be a part of it with all of her woes. You're walking as an imperfect person redeemed by a perfect Savior 
in an imperfect situation with other people. That a lot of times is harder than walking with somebody out in the world. You're walking with somebody that you're, you know, commanded to love by our Lord. And to walk that out. And when somebody walks in, they want to see how you get along in a social system. Are you truly transforming what culture is, what society is, what having an effect by loving one another? Or is your thing just an individual thing? And I'm just here to get my individual thing, my individual salvation. Or are you really, see, Jesus isn't coming back for you. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for a washed, clean, redeemed people together. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church. And this is important to get in. His redemption isn't just an individual thing. It's the fountainhead for him permeating throughout all of society and showing society and culture what a redeemed people look like and are supposed to love one another, love their husbands and wives, love their children, raise their children, get along with each other, how they handle disputes and arguments and do they stick it out and do they love each other and what happens in the church, you know, we have to say is really marred in that area. Why? Because the devil knows that is the answer. He knows that that love is supposed to be displayed and he's out to destroy the body of Christ, its holy church people. Not just little individuals here and there. He wants to mar and make your love for one another grow cold. And at the end of each service, my motto has been, love one another. Ingrid used to make sure and she would quote it after me every time I said it. And if I was kind of not saying it at the end, she'd go, love one another. That's kind of a motto here. Uh, Ray Ortland did a great job in describing the church. He said uh, in his book, it's a nine marks book. It's called The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. And he doesn't go into so much what the gospel is and breaks that down, but that the gospel doctrine, what you believe about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, if that's real, how that affects gospel culture like you getting along with others how does what you believe about the gospel yeah get that right that's what we're preaching here and teaching and ingraining that's what the ladies are getting into just day after day and message after message for the last three days immersed in it soaked in it every story in the bible about it a to z it and then you spread that message and you talk about it to one another it is the central message that you talk about and that life transforms the gospel into a gospel culture so get that right and ray ortland's book is a great the gospel how the church portrays the beauty of christ Uh, we had several copies around here it's green it's only about that thick not very intimidating we did it in our men's bible study on tuesday mornings about a year back or two but he says some profound things in there he says that this message of the gospel, this is hiking down into the Grand Canyon and seeing this, the people of God, how they're supposed to get along. Oh my gosh, it's more beautiful and grand than I ever could imagine just from that slight ABC, you know, glimpse that I took. I'm digging down, I'm hiking down, I'm exploring the beauty of Christ through the church. And when you do, he says this, Ray Ortland. 
the message also creates human beauty, beautiful relationships in our churches, making the glory of Christ visible in the world today. That's what he's redeeming. He's redeeming in the church and giving a visible way of showing the world how Christ loves a people and how a people should get along, what the kingdom should look like. He's redeeming that and bringing it. He's bringing it in such a profound way. Uh, Vermin Pierre also mentions a people and indeed a whole creation, and he talks about the renewal and healing of the nations. And he quotes Revelation 22:2, the healing of the nations. Have you ever thought about that? I don't want to think about it. Bobby, I'm saved. I got my ticket to heaven. That's all I need to know, and I'm just ready to go on. But think about, especially when you have anybody you care about, say it's your children, your grandchildren, and you're, they're out there in the world. They're getting message of the culture. They're getting message of nations. They're getting mixed everything a lot harder than you're giving it to them and a lot more profound and bombarded in a lot more ways. The schemes of the devil, you know, and his rulers and powers and authorities that have been defeated, those darkness categories, are still scheming and working. They're still going to this day. And so uh, they're not yet thrown into the lake of fire. Amen? That's their destiny. Not reconciliation, but cast into the lake of fire. But they're still scheming out there, bombarding our kids, anyone that we might love, anyone that we might be praying for. doesn't matter who it is. And they're being bombarded. And it's a thing that needs to take place in the nations. I mean, we need the gospel to evade not just our, you can protect and you can build a little commune and you can move on and you can move away and you can move and go to this place and that place. But the culture is going to sneak in. Society is going to get in. They're going to go. They're going to see. They're going to see on TV. They're going to hear music from around the world. They're going to hear messages. It don't matter where you live. That's not the answer. That's not God's answer. That's not the gospel answer. The gospel answer is to change society, change culture through the power and the beauty of the church displayed. And it's so powerful, redeeming, reconciling all things, means even the healing of the nations. Nations getting along with nations. And ultimately we see in Revelation, uh, let me see, 22, 5, in the middle of the street also on either side of the river, the tree of life. It's one of the only about three places in the Bible this is mentioned. In Genesis, in the beginning, the tree of life. Solomon mentions it in the Proverbs. And then here in Revelation 22, the tree of life is here again. And it's 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves, think about this, what the leaves of this tree do. What does it heal? Anybody remember? The healing of the nations. This is just profound. It's profound to explore that the gospel redeems nations, healing of nations. It's beautiful. Another explorer of this was Michael Heisner, his recent, uh, fairly recent for me, reading of of his book, uh, The Unseen Realm. He talks about uh, Acts 2 when Peter's preaching at Pentecost, and he's listing all of the peoples that are there. First of all, I want you to see in Acts 2.5, which he you know, points out, it says that the dwelling in Jerusalem, there's Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So it says every nation there. So there's a big gathering there during Pentecost. And in fact, why does the Bible go into such detail in Acts 2 to list all of these nations and these peoples that are there? Acts 2, 9 through 11 says Parthians and Medes and 
Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asian, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Remember Simon of Cyrene? There's some people from Cyrene there. And visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans. Cretans are all liars. You know, Corinthians says they have a bad reputation. Cretans and, and Arabians. So all of these people are together, nations. And what Michael Heisner does is this real profound thing and goes back and shows in, Jesus, in, in the Tower of Babel that those nations were there that God scattered were all of these nations. It's really profound. It's a, it's a, of course, his book's about that, that thick, so it, it'll, it'll boggle your mind. But just that portion is profound that what is God doing at Pentecost having all of these nations listing them? Why would he list them? And you go back and you see the Tower of Babel where he scattered, divided all the languages, and scattered all the nations. Now he's bringing back all these nations at his time, in his way, through the blood of the cross, through the power outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He even talks about divided tongues and he goes into Greek and he talks about uh, the flames that were there and all that that means and how he's uniting now all of those nations that he's scattered and he's bringing them all back together. You might go, I don't really care. I do. I care about the healing of the nations, about a hope that we don't see now, but we see God beginning at Pentecost and when things look really bad, I can go, and this is what our liturgy was all about today, things are going to be redeemed Nations are going to be healed one day. I have hope. And what Romans says in 8, that great chapter on hope, he says, hope that is seen is no longer hope. See, we don't have that. We don't see that yet, right? But we have that hope. Why? Because it's in the Bible. It's like Jesus Christ, that peace that he bought at the cross, brought a peace between nations. I love it. Please kind of rejoice with me a little bit. Because <laughs> it's, just, it's just great to, to climb down into the canyons and the heights and the depths. See, Grand Canyon don't really go up. But in God's love, there's heights to it. There's heavenlies that, you know, he can take you into. Paul says that his love has links to it that you can't ever explore all of it. And it has widths that you can never explore all of it. That's the love that I'm talking about in the gospel of the blood of the cross that it accomplishes. And it goes to the length of healing all the nations, the depth to heal all the nations, height and widths to heal all nations. And it's in his way and his timing. Once what he scattered at the Tower of Babel when men was trying to do it without God, he's now doing in his time as God, in his Son, uniting all nations. You see, Revelations 5 says, every tribe... Every language, every people, and every nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Whew, I love that. You know, you know what that is? Come on, worshipers. That's a song you all are all going to sing. That's a song you all are going to sing. The song that they sang in this heavenly realm. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you redeemed, you reconciled a people for God from every tribe. I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, some really interesting things is hang around with Marty, because he's traveled the world, and Camille, and they, they have a lot of great interesting stories about where they've traveled. 
Marty's a historian too. You don't mind me saying this, do you, Marty? You know, and, and I mean, he's just, he's just interesting. And, uh, you know, he loves other cultures, and I love that because Christians are to love other cultures. I love even my own country, the United States, because we get to have just the in, immense mercing of delicious, great the Italian food and Mexican food and all of the nations that have come together and brought their culture. And I love the languages. I love hearing people. And it says from every language, think about that. Every language, because languages are united with nations. So at Pentecost, it was all these languages. Here are all these nations of people, nations and languages. And he's redeeming all of that. That's the power of the blood of the cross. And he's redeeming all of creation. And I know this is something kind of hard to, to understand. Isaiah, the prophet, and all these la- this language, this prophetical language. Isaiah 65, behold, for behold, I, that means look at, actually handle, uh, behold it is more than just see. It's like behold it is to like try to like grasp this, get around where you can like pull it into you, you know. It's behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. What's it going to look like, Isaiah? Well, I don't know, but here's some language for it. Um, Isaiah 65, you can read that whole portion, but just jumping to a few highlights uh, first of all, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. So a very unique intimacy with God now that now we do have in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? But it's in part. We know in part. We see in part. We see, we see dimly through a, a, a glass, a darkened glass. But then we're going to see face to face, right? Paul says in that great chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 on love, so powerfully is this, uh, you know, Isaiah opens up kind of, you know, with that, I'll, you know, the, the, the intimacy with God is just phenomenal. Okay, that's great. That's it. That's the fountainhead of all we, you know, Jesus, when he said he goes to prepare rooms for us, places in John 14, he says that where I am, there you may be also. I mean, he is our treasure, right? I mean, he is the exalted Lord that we're going to get to be with, but it's all of creation too, this redemptive power. Isaiah goes on to look. He says, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. How does a wolf graze? Well, it says, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. How does a lion with its teeth eat straw? like it? The dust shall be the serpent's food. He's not swallowing the mice. Have you ever seen a serpent? You know, I, I, I came across hiking once this snake that was swallowing a mouse had about halfway in and I just watched him swallow it and swell all up and the little mice go down it's like here it says that the serpent the uh, dust will be the serpent's food it's like living off dust somehow I don't know what Isaiah means in all this but here's the key because in Isaiah 11 he says the same thing the wolf shall dwell with the lamb remember that it's not the actual lion laying with the lamb it's the wolf anyway the wolf shall dwell with the lamb the leopard shall lie down with the young goat the calf and the lion little calf you know, and the lion. He's not jumping on the calf. The calf and the lion are fattened together. <laughs> the little child shall lead them. An innocent child that normally these animals would prey on, he's leading them around. Not only that, he's leading around. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned chi- child, just barely weaned child, shall put his hand on the adder's den. I mean, this is like mind-blowing redemption and reconciliation of all creation, is it not? It's just profound. And why not have this hope? 
Why not be like a Tolkien and a C.S. Lewis that explores these animals recreated and talking with humans and, 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 and little kids, you know, hanging out in a beaver's hut, you know, and talking with them. And I don't know, you know, but Isaiah is like hinting on all these things. We don't know, but here's what we do know. They shall not hurt. Both of these texts of Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 11, he concludes with, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. I love that. There will be no hurt, whether it's adders, whether it's lions, whether it's wolves. There's no hurt in all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. There's no destruction, no destroying And he says it again, uh, they shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. He concludes both of those texts with new creation as being that. And that's what the, the John the Revelator, when he gets to Revelation, reveals of the new heavens. He, he says, just like Isaiah, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Remember Isaiah said, behold, a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, this is where there's no hurt or destroying uh, all my holy mountain. Here's how John the Revelator says it. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. That's what we read in the liturgy today. God, Jesus' prayer, let thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You say that all the time, Lord's Prayer? On earth as it is in heaven, that prayer is going to be answered fully, fully and completely. And this was God's plan all along, to dwell with a people on the earth fully. Your will being done perfectly through a people on the earth. And that's what John's saying, that God himself will be with them and he will do what? Be one with his people on earth, but he will wipe away every tear. Tired of crying, weeping. I did it just this morning, just thinking and just praying and just seeing the hurt in our world and praying and interceding for that pain. And I'm tired of crying. But that is our lot here in this life to pray and to say, Lord, please, And he does. He's a very comfort in times of trial and hardship. But here in the, this final redemption of all things, every tear from their eyes, no more death. Think about that. Think about how hard that is. Think about that being no more. No more mourning. No more mourning. If you have no death, no more to mourn, but nothing to mourn about. No more crying. Come on, people, this one. No more pain. Come on. I know a lot of you are in pain. <laughs> no more pain. There's young people in serious pain. Just constant aching pains. No more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He is making all things new. Can you say amen? Our closing song is about the cross. How deep the Father's love For us, Presley's prayer was on this Father's Day that we would know the Father's love. And I want you to behold this man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. All your sin is finished. All the strife in all the nations will soon be finished and accomplished. And the redemption of all things through his church will fully be accomplished. He will make all things new. What a profound hope. What a profound hope. Amen.
So when you read, what else does Christ's death redeem? If you guys think of some more things, come and bounce them off of me, because I love to do that. He was redeemed and renewing every part of fallen creation as he powerfully directs all things for his own glory and for creation's good. He's restoring creation back to God and to humanity in the way that it was always meant to do. One of the ways we respond to this message, we go like, wow, so what, Bobby? What do we do? We come to communion. We come to the Lord's table. And we come to a closing worship song that's all about glory to Him. And what communion is, is a response to the gospel. That's, I've heard this message, and I believe it. I believe that His body and His blood accomplished what that guy up there that was ranting and raving about is actually true. That Jesus is all that and much more. And what we proclaim together as a church is we're coming together to have a meal. And this meal, Jesus established himself. And he said to do this and remember my death until I come. When he returns and initiates the ultimate finality of all that he accomplished at the cross. And now, let's have this meal together. See, this meal may not look like much. may like there's a little bitty cracker down there. And it's a little tiny bit of fruit juice in there. But spiritually, how profound is it that we together and all over the world, people come together in the response of the gospel and say, here's where my faith lies. It lies in Christ alone, through grace alone, and his, his body, his broken body, and his shed blood for me. And that's what we have in common. And that is the nation that God is building around the world, a nation of the people of God. So let's celebrate this today as believers. If you're not a believer and not trusting in Jesus for your salvation, don't take this with us. But if you are a believer, you're welcome, and these should all be in front of you today. So in the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Holy Scriptures tell us Paul's instruction to the Corinthians. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. So we take this cracker, and he gave thanks to the Father for it. In the midst of betrayal, He had faith in the Father's plan. He said, this is going to change all betrayals. This is going to change all loneliness, all sorrow, all death, all pain. Everything that I'm about to accomplish is going to redeem so much more than you could ever think or imagine. Take this together with me, Jesus said, and remember my death and remember my broken body given for you. Let's partake together. And in like manner, he took the cup, and it was full of the fruit of the vine. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink of it and do this in remembrance of me. For the cup of the covenant is for the forgiveness and remission of all your sin. Let us remember his shed blood at the cross together. And let us sing and worship him. Amen.